Yo, people, what's going on? Welcome to a new episode of Echo Chamber. Um, this week, we've got a review, but the main thing of this episode is I had the ch- opportunity to sit down and talk with Al White, the director and just creative genius behind the film Starfish that we reviewed. Um, I believe it was episode 37 of the podcast. So, um, yeah, it's a good episode. You look, you definitely want to hear this because out, you know, he really puts out some great insights into the making of the film. But as we do, let's get with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 7th to the 9th of June. At number 10, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. At number 9, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. And we should have a review of that next week. Um, At number 8, it's um, Secret Cinema. And they were showing Casino Royale. At number seven, we have Barat. At number six, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. At number five, hey, it's um, Take That, their greatest, greatest hits live tour. Uh, at number four, The Secret Life of Pets 2. At number three, Rocket Man. At number two, X Men Dark Phoenix. It is not looking good for that film from all reports. And at number one, it's Aladdin. Okay, so, um, firstly, let's get into a review. Okay, so this week's film is the new um, the new creation from Luke Jaden. So he directed and he co-wrote with Diane Michelle. It's starring Aurora Pernu, um, Jaden Pinner, Jill Marie Jones, and Rob. Zabrecki. Okay, so the gist of the film is this. Um, Married with two kids, James and Elise are struggling to keep the family together. Along with the couple's own rifts, their daughter Morgan is hiding her own suicidal thoughts, while younger son Caleb channels his suppressed emotions through troubling macabre artwork. One night, their true test arrives, a strange Halloween game left on their doorstep, 
that legend has it leaves a curse on who on those who choose not to play unfortunately that's the choice this family makes and all kinds of evil spirits are ready to make them pay yeah well um i think as i've learned <laughs> from you know recent weeks a really good horror seems to really make me jump and um act like an ass so uh yeah i was a little cautious and um kind of wondering why i had agreed to review this film um so it starts off in the 1980s halloween in fact in the 1980s and um so we see some something weird happening and then it jumps forward you know 30 years to the present day and we i mean first of all we see the daughter on the phone and then we jump to family breakfast um and that is when this game turns up and the wheels are set in motion as they were i i would say um <clears throat> that yeah i i think this film kind of has all the all the elements needed for um you know i I'd, I'd say one of those kind of b movies that you find on late night tv you know it it kind of has the elements to fit that bill and yeah i think like when you think about the story and everything like that it would work it would work like that i think the the issue that i had was so look as you got it from you know the bio it's it's saying that yeah so the the daughter's got suicidal thoughts and the son he's suppressing the these troubling emotions with the the weird art these aren't addressed okay so the kid the boy he's got all these weird pictures sprawled around his room and at no point is anyone going, ah, uh, like, what the deal with the pictures, son? And especially when he's the one acting really shook by this game and all worried. And so, we, you know, I mean, we have that. The son's getting all worried and scared. But it is a bit like, yo, but you draw fucked up stuff. You have fucked up stuff in your room. Why are you sad, son? You know what I mean? No one asks the question, which is a weird point in the film because we see in his room a lot. And yeah, it's covered in this weird shit. So yeah, that question just isn't addressed at all. And then the daughter with suicidal thoughts, again, like, they're not really addressed. They're kind of, 
I'd say hinted at, but not even really hinted at. There's some vague, wishy-washy kind of things that may allude to it, but they could allude to other things. So it's not until, like, the end of the film that you really get a clear, oh, okay, you know what I mean? And so that, again, it's an odd thing, because, look, so they've made it a big deal in the PR, but you wouldn't get it from watching the film itself, and that's problematic, because, you know, you should be able to watch something, and everything makes sense from watching it, so you have these things, and the like the acting is fine like i mean the acting itself right the problem though is the dialogue and it's the delivery that is so just out of sync it it it's weird it's really weird <clears throat> like at the beginning, as I said, you know, it kind of starts with them having breakfast. The way everyone is, you're like, I don't understand what this situation is. Are you all just lodging in this house together? Like, what's the situation? It's just odd. And is this real stilted kind of weird dialogue that you're like right so what you're you're married like your brother and sister like what i don't understand and and this goes throughout the film so you'll have them being like but i care for you but it's like but i care for you just come here we will survive if we stick together. And, like, obviously, it is, you know, I mean, I am maybe a little over the top, but it's essentially like that. It's just weird. And so it really, it just, you're, you're never able to submerge yourself in the film Because the um, the dialogue is so weird, you know, and the delivery. So you're just thrown. You're constantly just wondering to yourself, what's going on? Like, why is everyone acting like they don't know each other? Because that's what it does seem like. There's and also then some weird things like weird dialogue comes into play like there's one point when um Elise is with Morgan and she's like is Papa downstairs and it's just like wait what like Papa right that's the first time you read that James had been referred like that in the film. So, and at no point would you think from everything that's come before would Elise ever refer to him as Papa. 
Yeah, I, I think at one point Morgan like calls for daddy or mummy again. It's just like, wait, that makes no sense. That doesn't fit with how that character has been to this point. So yeah, it, there's just this weird, like yeah, dialogue is just completely off kilter to the rest of the film. As I said, like, the physical acting is fine. The physical acting works. But, yeah, it's the it's the delivery, it's the cadence, it's the dialogue that just really lets this film down. Like, dramatically lets it down. Like, if it wasn't, as I said, look, the story... Like you, you kind of like yeah. It's got all the elements that that this kind of film would have. So you think yeah, no, it works like that. You know, it's fine. This is a a, a late night B movie. It's cool. It, it it yeah, it works. But it's just this other stuff that kind of really just throws it. Just yeah, constantly throws it. And you're like, there's all this weird stuff, and the family is religious. Well, the dad is religious. James is religious. But he never seems to use religion as a shield. You know what I mean? Like, just remember, like, Rose Namanunez was quoting the Bible against Joanna Junjacek <laughs> at a UFC stare down. You know what I mean? Uh, so if that gonna happen, you'd think that if some ghosts and whatever spirits are coming after you, you'd be like, um, I don't know any verses, but yeah, I'd imagine you'd be like quoting that, quoting some scripture or something, because surely you'd be like, okay, so if ghosts are here, if evil spirits are here, that must mean God is here, so I'm gonna be like, boom, but yeah, doesn't happen, so it's just like, I don't, yeah, I, I can't just get in with the vibe of the film, which as I said, look, it's a shame, now maybe I'm missing something, you know, maybe it's like this for a, a reason that I'm just not comprehending but yeah I don't I really don't know uh, but people you can make up your own minds because um, yeah this film is out on Monday the 17th of June um you know, it's seven ninety nine standard, nine ninety nine HD. It's running for ninety minutes. Um, I'd imagine it's probably, um, I don't know, a fifteen. It's probably gonna be a fifteen. Um, so, like, I don't know. You've got, um. Brian Kavanagh is an executive producer in this film. So if you're a fan of his stuff, like Insidious and Sinister, 
yo, maybe this is for you, you know? <coughs> if you're just, uh, if you're a real big fan of B, B-movie horrors, yo, this could be for you. I do wonder why it's coming out now and not Halloween. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? But it is out on Monday, um, the 17th of June. Uh, it's from director Luke Jaden, and it's fr- starring Jill Marie Jones, Rob Zabrecki, Aurora Perinu, and Jaden Pinner. So yeah, if you're a horror fan, if you like be crazy weird movies, then boo. Might be for you. Okay, people. So, yeah, hopefully you found that. That helpful in some way. But, um, look. So, in episode 37 of Echo Chamber. Um, yeah, I, I reviewed Starfish. Which, um, like the gist of the film is this, right? When a mysterious signal from an unknown dimension summons the end of days, it appears as if only Aubrey is left on Earth, trapped in the apartment of her recently deceased best friend. The only clue she has is a single cassette left behind after her friend's death labelled, This mixtape will save the world. Thrust into a mysterious, orchestrated, a mystery orchestrated by her friend and stricken with grief, Aubrey begins to piece the clues together, uncovering a series of tapes, all with pieces of the mystery signal. Along the way, progress is impeded when monstrous creatures begin to overrun the world and enclose in on her. Aubrey is forced to fight off the encroaching creatures and move beyond her own crippling grief in order to find the remaining tapes. But will it completing? But will completing the signal save the world? Well, yes, it was like listen. It's it's a a magnificent film. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah, you you really should listen to the episode. Um, But this week, I got the chance to sit down. um, I mean, we did it over Skype. But we were both sitting. So, I mean, you know, it's fair to say. Um, Yeah, I had the chance to sit down with the writer, director. um, And, uh, yeah, you know, the guy behind all the music in the film, um, Al White, um, yeah, it's a great, I really enjoyed, um, yeah, the opportunity to talk with him, and it went a lot longer than we thought, (laughs) so I've got to say, ah, like, mad props for Al for, um, yeah, bearing with me, man, and just going with the flow of all of this, but, uh, yeah, Here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did doing it. The same jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is another episode of Echo Chamber, and I have the pleasure of talking with Al White, 
who is the director, um, producer, sound guy behind um, a new <laughs> film. <laughs> Let's not lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you put that. I think you did the score, right? I did. Yeah, I, I wrote, directed, and did the score. Um, I did the first draft of editing. But yeah, we're a small indie film, so everybody, everybody was wearing many, many hats. <laughs> well above and beyond. <laughs> yeah. So your your new film, Starfish. Um, it was. I. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, I think when I was watching it, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And I was just blown away by it. You know what I mean? Like, I can't lie. I was just blown away. It was so compelling and interesting. Um, where did the concept come from? Um, no, really, no, sorry. Thank you. For, that was very kind. Um, but no, it was a lot of different places to be honest i was we were working on some other projects um and then my best friend passed away to cancer and i was going through a lot of personal stuff at the time as well so it was my relationship um, and my own failings and i yeah just really struggling coping so i went away to <clears throat> um, i love colorado um so i went to colorado to write and it was very snowy and i by osmosis took in a lot of the things that were happening around me um and then I'd had a couple of like, I have pages of just whenever I have an idea for a film or a concept for something. And I'd had one to do with this satellite that had scanned, um, well, it wouldn't be a satellite, it was a probe or whatever. It had scanned a meteorite in space around that time um, and had found this sound coming off of it, this signal. Um, and I became infatuated with this idea of other creatures in the universe or other entities in the universe utilizing sound as. as their sort of basis of technology essentially like using these meteorites as their own kind of probe sending them out into the universe um so yeah it really came from those two places um, uh. and then it took about another year before because the first draft to be honest i didn't write it thinking to make it into a film it was just yeah. like a cathartic thing to do and, and it took a year before i could get it to more of a place where it was actually filmable to be honest okay so but what point did you think actually this could be filmed um i mean to be honest the first draft it only came out i wrote it very quickly and then my producers were asking me if i had other scripts that were cheap basically because we had some investment for a film but it was not going to be enough for the film we we're trying to make so they said do you have any other scripts that are cheap and i was like well i've just written one because in the first draft she never left the apartment uh, I, was I was feeling so i was like well i just wrote a film where someone never leaves an apartment and so they're like all right let's have to take a look at it but then all this other crazy shit was going on. Like it was, it was a lot of weird stuff was happening in the apartment at that point. Um, so they kind of read it and was like, well, for starters, this is too miserable. <laughs> you know, like, you know, there's not really a journey here. It's just sort of wallowing. Um, and for seconds, this isn't as cheap as it looks because sure, she's in an apartment with crazy stuff. Is happening. Um, so yeah, it was about a year later. Like, it was after that where I was like, okay, well, if we've been thinking about filming this, I need to figure it out. But mm. I still left it for a long time because I was just going through my own stuff. So yeah, it was literally yeah. a year later, I went back to the same place um, in in Colorado and and yeah, wrote the new draft. Ah, so, right. 
Why, how come you went back to, did you go back to Colorado to try and get back into that vibe to write? Or is it just a kind of a nice place that you like to go just to write in general? Bit of both, to be honest. Like, I don't do well writing at home. Um, I could do a lot of different bits of work at home, but not writing. I need to be somewhere else. And I travel a lot. I spent the majority of the last seven years just on the road um, and road tripping. And it helps me. It's very tiring as I get older, but it does <laughs> help me uh, get perspective and it helps me feel, yeah, I can only really write when I'm in a strange place um, and somewhat peaceful. And I just feel very peaceful when I'm in mountains. Um, so I do go to Colorado quite a lot to write, to be honest. Uh, okay. that Yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah, I, I find trying to write at home, there's so many distractions, so many distractions. And I think it's sometimes hard to get into, just get into that kind of mindset, you know what I mean? To turn out a, something long form. Like I can think of ideas, like I could write, I can write jokes and ideas at home, but yeah. trying to write something long form, I do struggle doing that. But there's no yeah. mountains close by, so, ursh. <laughs> well, you got no, there's Europe right there. It's not that bad. Um, probably takes from LA to Colorado. It takes like a good couple of days driving, and, and that's kind of the great thing about Europe is you could you know just drive to Switzerland, drive to France, drive to you know like all these different different places. We don't have the deserts. That's the one thing I do love about West America is like getting to leave a city and then you're just in desert or in canyons is quite for me very uh, creatively stimulating. I like just getting away from people like that and being able to write in peace. Um, but yeah, I think it's incredibly, I mean, every writer obviously has their own way of doing things. Um, and I'm very lucky to get to, to run away a lot <laughs> to do my writing. Um, some people have to make work, writing at home work and I mm. find greatly because yeah, I just can't do it. Just can't. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so did like writing this, did this help? kind of exercise like the demons and the hurt and everything that was kind of going through your mind at the time i mean it did in that at the time again i wasn't expecting to make it i was used to kind of writing music normally when i feel that way but i had no music instruments around me and i was writing a lot of scripts so that kind of seemed the best format for me to kind of do something cathartic and it helped to just in terms of not making me feel okay but just stopping me from feeling to be honest quite sort of suicidal um so it helped me get out of that. But then it transitioned. So as soon as like the year later when we knew we were going to go into production, then it became this weird responsibility because then it just gives you something to focus on, which is that, well, this is for my friend and I want, you know, I would want her to be proud of what I've done while well, I know she's going to laugh at me for a lot of it if she was still around <laughs> um, and she would tease me about things and give me shit about it. Um, I would want her at the end to, to be proud of it. So then it kind of just channeled what I was going through to have you know some purpose which was definitely constructive yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's an interesting thing because i i remember when i was watching it um like you 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 know you're following the storyline but it did seem that it could be um a, a, a metaphor an analogy for other stuff you know um so yeah i i, I think when you you say the reason kind of for where the story kind of came from that yeah it all kind of fits 
in now. So that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean, it's definitely you know for its benefit or detriment depending on your perspective, and I think your own relationship with. It's very much a film that I've noticed the people who do connect with it it's because they've been in or are in similar places, you know. Um, but it, it was designed from the ground up to be a literal metaphor, essentially, mm. you know, something where it's not happening inside someone's head or something like that, but it is the physicality is caused by the emotions that someone's going through, um, which was very important to us to try and to make sure it still felt real while it is, yeah, just kind of just trying to drag you through that process of my, my personal process of grieving. And, um, and there's, you know, there's not just misery in that there's, there's chaos and joy and, you know, all, all kinds of strange distractions. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, because, you know, we start off at the funeral, at the, fu- at the wake. Is it, do you, is that a wake after the funeral? That's what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I actually had a lot of <laughs> problems with when I was putting in the script of, like, what you call those. Some people just call them, like, a reception, almost, like, at a wedding. It's like, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> yeah, when I, when I was... But, you know, that bit where everyone stands in the room and... Has feels uncomfortable. Kind of, like, telling stories, but everyone's sort of trying to prove that their relationship with the person was more important. Oh, my God, yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah when i was reviewing it i was like, like all right so the film starts off at a um a thing <laughs> like what um oh what do we call it uh uh <laughs> yeah. and i was just like awake i think that's what we call it uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it, so it starts off there and i think if you go from that beginning those those first few scenes, you you could possibly think the film is going to go into a completely different way and at a different tone. You yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and was yeah. that intentional for that kind of one eighty shift from that to then the apartment? Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> um, I got to take ownership of everything in this film is intentional even maybe the things that annoy people (laughs) Um, but not everything was thought out i mean i'm not gonna pretend everything turns out how you want it to like filmmaking doesn't work like that it's a very organic process for better and worse but um but no that was very intentional was for me i i i can enjoy genre films that are just entertaining Mm. um but the ones that last with me and not just genre just in general the films that last with me are the ones that I grounded in drama first and then you build everything else on top of that. Um, so for me, yeah, it was, I wanted to start with drama. Um, and a lot of our references for the people like ask me about Lovecraft and things like that. It's like, none of that was ever a reference for the film to me. It was always, um, drama. It was drama, like, you know, three colors blue. And I'm in no way pretending that we're even an inch towards that, but like, it's good to like use, you know, lofty films as, as your references when you're trying to make something. Uh, but we were always looking at drama first. Um, and I was the only person really in the key crew who's into genre. Um, so it was more my responsibility to deal with that. I didn't want people, I didn't want the acting or the DP to to be looking at things from a genre perspective, you know. Mm. I wanted them to treat it as drama. Uh, yeah, no, interesting. Because, yeah, we... we you, I think you really feel 
like from um, Aubrey and the other actors in those scenes, the like the anxiety, the just the the pressure of that kind of situation. But one of the things that really just that is, I is your film. There's a lot of small things in the film that I think create big ripples. You know what I mean? I, I, I probably say it like that. Because there's this moment where she's sipping her drink and she looks in and there's the, the fly, the bee, whatever it is inside. And then she looks up and the, the, the red um, on the straw starts to unravel. And I was just like, oh, shit. That I thought that was just such a great little moment that like could easily be missed, but I just thought, oh, you know what I mean? That it, that I thought that really kind of helps bring you into like the feeling you get in no, in that situation. Because as you said, look, a lot of people go to these things and they're like, oh. I knew the person. They touched my life like this, and oh, and and it's all this big kind of pretense, and it's this show a lot of the times, and it feels weird. It's like sometimes you, you don't want to grieve with other people. You it's just like, look, this is intimate to me. I want to be in myself, but you have to be in this situation. And it, it was just the way the straw was unraveling just kind of helped sum all of that up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Not many people noticed that, but that was that was something that was important to me. That we had a few other little touches like that, some which didn't end up getting in the film, sadly. But that was one that, yeah, we did get to keep in, and it does tie into certain aspects too. I mean, obviously, at the end of this film, people have questions. <laughs> there are like little <laughs> clues like that throughout, which, which if you really want to, and I'm not pretending anyone would want to, like they all do add up to hopefully answers. Um. But yeah, I mean, most of that scene, to be honest, is verbatim. Like, like the film starts with kind of an obnoxious statement of this is based on a true story. Um, but it is, like, it's based on an emotional true story and there's not much dialogue and a lot of the dialogue is, you know, verbatim. Um, and that was from that, from the wake or whatever we're calling it. Um, I had the, all these conversations and then the one she's going to have outside when she says that she loves hearing uh, stories about people from when they were young or when they were kids. Um, yeah, that, that's more what I'm interested in these things. I love hearing people's stories about the person, you know, yes. but I feel there's a, there's a strange, and I don't blame anyone for it. Like I'm definitely guilty of it as well. Like it's, it's just an awkward position people put in at these situations, but people tend to make the stories about the person who's passed away about themselves. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah, I'm yeah. doing in this film. But I'm much more interested. Yeah. I'd love to just hear the stories about the, the person. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I like sometimes you think it's what we're programmed to do, you know. Like, because whenever you see films and TV about funerals and and that kind of thing, it it's that's what you get. You'll be like, oh, I knew the person because one day and I was feeling like this, and then I, and, and it's just never, yeah, you never see things from a point of view, and someone's just like, oh, this person. And the story is just about that person or or anything like that, you know? It, it, it's just... Well, that was why it was honestly, like, I became acutely aware of that 
And so I went the opposite way. Like, it's why I don't want to do any spoilers, obviously, for anything in the film. But, like, you don't see this character in a flashback or anything like that. Mm. And I was very adamant not to because I was like, well, no, if that's the only way we can talk about this person, it's not right for me to talk about. Even, you know, this is obviously an interpretation of my friend. It's not obviously really them. It's not, you know, it's, it's my viewpoint of something. I can only do it from my viewpoint. So it's my responsibility to tell my side of this and how it makes me feel. Um, so we need to go fully into that um, and basically do what I'm kind of not criticizing, but sort of was noting other people are doing at this wake or reception, uh, do that fully, but without including the other person. So it was very important to never like show them in real life when they were alive or anything like that, because then you are pain, painting a judgment on how they felt about things. Um, and you never really know, and I think that's one of the magical and sad and frustrating things about when you lose someone, is you never really know what was their side of that relationship they had with you, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Which is yeah, a yeah. difficult thing to come to terms with, because you don't really know how they felt about you. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, they were my best friend, they loved me, and then, you know, you just think, they're just looking down thinking... No, I put up with you. Yeah. You were a chore. It's like, oh man, if they knew, if you knew the stuff that they said, about you. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. So you can only tell it from your perspective, and I think that's fine. So I 100% am very gluttonous in this film, and, and yeah, I only tell it from my perspective. Mm. Oh yeah. I, I think Virginia Gardner, I, I think this film. Like, the script is there, the, you know, the cinematography, everything like that. But I think a lot of this film definitely rests upon her shoulders. And her performance is just so good. It's just, she's able to convey so much. And especially in some of those moments, just within the, in the apartment. Like, how did she become a part of this film um yeah so well, no she's fantastic and i'm very uncomfortable saying <laughs> i hate talking about anything nice about the film when i'm included so i love it when it's about the other people i'm very proud to have um her performance in this film i i like she hadn't done runaways or halloween or anything at this point um she'd been doing films but like she'd done project almanac i don't know if you've seen that um and that's what i'd seen her in and really just felt like she looked, I don't know what it was, there was something about it where I was like, I feel she can do more than they're giving her. Mm. Um, and not to speak down on those films, but you know, the, but they're big blockbuster entertaining films and you're only going to put people into certain sort of pigeonholes in it. And I was like, I'd love to see if she could do more. And so she was on my, my list of ideal people to bring in and I was very um, honoured that she came in. And she read for us and was excellent. And our only worry was that she was too young. She was like 21 when we shot this. Um, and but then yeah we had like a lunch together and chatted through how i wanted to handle things and my sort of true life elements of it and how difficult the shoot was going to be emotionally physically because yeah she's in nearly every shot um and that's it's a lot for an actor to go through and then just physically because we're shooting at like eleven thousand feet in heavy snow like it's very hard to do anything um and she was just immediately just impressed me with how she she had both a maturity to her, but also could just key into this sort of wild, youthful side where she would just tackle anything and just go for it. You know, she wasn't precious about things. And I think she really, I don't want to speak for her, but uh, I think she really wanted to, like, prove that she could do other things, you know? 
Mm. Uh, and she definitely does. Like, she gets to do a whole range of emotions in this film, and I think she it's great with all of them. Um, yeah, and we just had long chats, and, and that gave her access to ask anything she wanted to about me and my personal life, and then find her own way to interpret my experiences, you know, so that she could kind of key into it. And that's the mark of a great actor when essentially you're portraying someone else, but you have to make it relevant to yourself. Um, and yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, was, you know, because there's not a, a load of people in the film, really. Um, so was that the first casting that you did? Like, how, yeah, how was the casting for this in general? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that was integral. Um, and it took us a long time because, um, yeah, I don't think I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm passing not to get into the minutiae of Hollywood bullshit, but there's a lot of a lot of paperwork and a lot of things that when you jump then by bringing people into different union sections and it's complicated and it goes on for months and months and months when you're at our level anyway, we're just, you know, a tiny film. Um, so it was actually a lot of stress and really made me, I got quite frustrated with things, but she, that was the most, obviously like the whole film would fall apart if you don't have the right person for that lead. Um, so that took a long time to, to secure that and make sure, you know, everything was going to be fine with scheduling and all that stuff mm. before then we could even look at other people. Um, and other people were done. It was all done through dream big casting in LA, which is Sherry Henderson's company. And, and she did a great job of bringing people in. Ones like that, obviously, I was incredibly involved with. And then there are other ones where she'll send you videos of the ones that she likes, and then you kind of pick who you want to meet or who you just want to cast, depending on your timing uh, from those videos. Um, but yeah, for the lead, it was it was quite. We looked at a lot of people. Uh, uh, no, that, that's really interesting. Like, you know, what I mean? you'd be like, ah, I don't want to get into the minutiae, but I think from someone looking in. You just think, oh, so what? Do they call this person and that's it? Like, you know what I mean? It, it, you wouldn't think it. You just think, oh, it's a conversation and they're cast. You wouldn't. Like, you wouldn't think. Well, what else is there? The unhealthy. That's the unhealthy image that I think Hollywood like to give with everything. Which yeah. Is that yeah. oh, this person just became famous one day when they woke up. This person we cast because I always wrote it with them in mind. Ah, and then, you know, hear that a lot. Like it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, obviously it happens sometimes, but no, I didn't write this with her. But I actually wrote this. Like when I write things, I do have like I kind of pick two or three actors or people, you know, that I'm not intending or hoping to necessarily cast, but mm. just that is in my brain to help me write it. Um, and the main person for this was actually a Japanese actress. Um, um, and yeah, so uh, no, I mean, like we, I was lucky enough to get involved through my management and my producers with Sherry Henderson, and she's like really was passionate about the project, and she used a lot of her resources, um, and just asked me for a list. I mean, she you you watch, I mean, she watched hundreds of people, <laughs> and there's like an online kind of thing you can do where you watch all of the people, and you can all leave your little marks on who we like and who we don't like with the producers, and it's a long process, and then you bring them in for a callback, and I'll sit down with them and. I came in for maybe two or three days of that um, to watch the callbacks in person and give them notes and talk to them. Um, and it, it's, yeah, I mean, we could do a whole show about that, but it's a very, <laughs> depending where you go in Hollywood, it's a very strange process and it's not always that healthy, I don't feel. Mm. Uh, so, no, we tried to let people ask as many questions as they want to challenge us. And 
And then, yeah, from my list of 10 people, which I didn't expect to get to see any of those, we got to see a handful of them, which Sherry managed to organize. Um, and I don't know how. Magic or <laughs> blackmail. Or I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's, that's great, man. That's really interesting. Um, all right, so we're in you know what that like just aside i could definitely see like you saying you visualize a, a, a japanese actress in that role i could definitely see this as an anime I, I don't know why but yeah i could see this as an anime which is um yeah weird yeah, i mean i think it's it's got a fever dream kind of element to it which uh I'm always interested in the other side of that. It's like one of my favorite anime films is called Jinro, uh, The Wolf Brigade. And it's from like 2001 or something like that. Um, and that film was criticized a lot because it was a film that didn't need to be anime. You know, it's a very dry drama, really. Mm. Um, and, it's, and it's very realistically animated and the colors are very drab. And I fucking love it. Um, and it was criticized. I was like, why did you make this as an anime? You don't need to. This should have been live action. And I kind of love that. It's like, well, why shouldn't it be an anime? You know, why should anime only be used for where, you know, the budget would be too much if you did this in live action? Yeah. Um, why can't it just be used as a different tool to tell a story, no matter what the story is? And I kind of feel the same way with live action. Like, I definitely was like, yeah, I could see this. Like, some people have said it would be a great comic, you know? Um, and I, and I, and I get that, but I kind of like, well, why not do it in a medium that you wouldn't necessarily expect? Mm, no, definitely. Because, yeah, I think that it, it gives some, it, like, the medium that you choose gives things a different voice. Like, you know, for instance, right now, so we just had Game of Thrones end as a TV yeah. series. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, conversation. Yeah. Not, yeah, not everyone's happy. <laughs> But I'm sure if you read the books, it's a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it just kind of depends on the medium, um, really, yeah. I, I guess. I'm always fascinated with the different story, like the different stories we choose to tell in mediums. I think for me, I'm a huge video gamer. And the first, I think it's it's been fascinating for me watching that medium figure out, oh, we don't need to pretend to be like tv or film we could do other things better that they can't do just like film can do things better you know just like writing a novel can do things better like everything has its own attributes mm. yeah. and it's fun to like echo different mediums but also you have to kind of like look at well what can you do to tell this story in your own medium in a unique way that you couldn't in a different medium yes um, and games are just starting to figure that out and i think that's really exciting i really do uh, cool man but um, yeah. I, I look as I said before. There's a a lot of stuff. There's li these little touches in the film that are great. And I think when we get to an, the apartment, there's a lot of these shots that are kind of just of the apartment or a picture or you know. And it's just like the layout and the look and that and just these things alone kind of help set the scene help kind of fill in blanks of the emotion that is happening with Aubrey at the at, at this time like so what was the thinking with that because it's just like 
right, I'm going to shoot the apartment. I'm going to shoot her in the apartment. But, like, with the whole layout of it and everything like that, was it a, a conscious choice to have it how it is? Or were you just like, I just want to create something that looks kind of looks lived in, kind of looks, you know, just in this certain way kind of thing? Um. Well, from my, I mean, I do want to say Fernando Guerrero, who did our art direction, like she did transformative things. Like that space, it's it's all her and her team with what they did with it. Like that room, you wouldn't believe beforehand. It was like a Western themed saloon with a horseback uh, like seats and stuff, and just cowboy <laughs> stuff everywhere. It was crazy. Um, and yeah, like we didn't have the time or the money to like go through every detail, you know. So it really was having some meetings with her, talking about what I wanted, giving us the particular details that I wanted, and then letting her interpret that and create it. Uh, so like the if poem, little felt animals, or certain things that were very important to me. Mm. Um, and then she, and then we left her. We were doing other bits, and then came in and just got to walk around it. Suddenly transformed, which was incredible. That first moment, walking around it as now, oh now it's an apartment with all of Grace's things was really one of my favorite moments um, in the shoot. And then me and the DP would have to walk around and go, okay, I want to focus on this, focus on this. Um, and that's for me, uh, for some people, I think it's their least favorite bit of the movie. Um, they prefer the stuff that happens in the latter half. For me, it's my favorite bit of the movie. Um, uh, that exploring the space and quiet and getting the relationship with someone because yeah, like you say, there's not much talking and we're not getting to see Grace's when she was alive. So you have to tell her through the room. Um, and I didn't actually break into my friend's apartment afterwards, <laughs> but I really wanted to. Like, I remember when I was in Colorado, just being like, what I want to do right now is fly back home um, and just break into her house and kind of like go for all of her stuff. Mm. And that's what I really wanted to do. <laughs> so I just wrote that in. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting, there's like at the funeral and then it's just like, oh, and then suddenly she's breaking into this apartment. It was just like, wait, what's what's happening right now? And, and it was that's just... Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. That's how I used to break into my house, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a cat flap and at college I'd constantly lock myself out. <laughs> so I'd have to do that trick with the cat flap. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've, I've done it once. When I, was, when I was a kid, we had a dog. So we had the bigger uh, the, the, the dog flap. And um, so I had to climb over the back.
not in a film like The Nice Guys, he reverses that. Like The Nice Guys is a fascinating film to try to dissect as a writing exercise because those characters do everything that you would actually do or that they would actually do. It always comes from a believable place. They'll be like, oh yeah, they would leave right now. Mm. They wouldn't opt in. So what he does instead is he has the characters do the real thing, but then the story is constantly chasing them. So there's like a cool bit where they go up like an elevator, the elevator doors open and it's like a gunfight happening. And they just like hit the button to go back down again. Like, nope. And they opt out of the story. And in a normal screenplay, you're like, well, we're fucked now because they've opted out of the story. So in a normal screenplay, you'd have to go, no, let's find a reason they have to go into the gunfight. But in this, they leave, they get in their car downstairs, but then someone gets shot in the building above in that gunfight, falls out of a window and onto their car as they're driving away, yes. bringing them back into the story. And that's like such a fucking cool dynamic that I really love. Um, but yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> what i would do and that's not always comfortable but yeah what i wanted to do is just look look through my friend's stuff <laughs> sorry that was a real tangent i just wanted to talk about the nice guys really. <laughs> no 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 because like <clears throat> this i think this is like ha huh, I, I i always want to have a conversation and a real conversation rather than just um you know what I mean? Just bog-standard questions that don't really answer anything. You could read anywhere. You know, I, I, you want to get behind things. You want to kind of understand people's mindset and why something happened, why they did it in a certain way. So, yeah, no, always feel free to tangent. I do it all the time. <laughs> like, when, like... Some of my favorite bits in the um, the apartment were the kind of vivid thoughts that seemed to be going through her head. You know, like she looks through the telescope and then she's lying down on the sofa and like, yeah, she's, she's thinking of intimacy. And then she kind of sees the couple making love, but it's not. I like the way that it was kind of translucent, you know, because sometimes you'll just see a scene of something. Someone's thinking it and we see a straight up scene. But, you know, I was thinking, all right, so it's this weird kind of memory or she's thinking this must have happened in this space. So it's not like she saw it, she knew it happens, but she's thinking this must have happened. So we're seeing this translucent shadow, like, you know, an echo happening. Yeah, it's, it's a bit, I mean, I do want to be careful to not map out too much because they haven't seen the film yet. But yeah, it's like a very, it's the beginning of us getting into her head mm. um, and just trying to show that, no, we're going to be quite literal with that. Um, and I think, you know, there's a few nudges towards that already, but that's the first moment we're really, um, and I, that's frustrating to me with that. There was a different way we wanted to do that to do with projectors and stuff, which I think would have been really cool. Uh, but I'm happy with, yeah, with how it looks. Um, but yeah, that was the important beginning of the gateway for the rest of the film, really, of, of we're going to be very literal with how she's, what she's thinking about, how she's feeling. Ah, uh, okay. Like, okay, so how much of that, happened with the making of this film where like there was something that you wanted to shoot in one way but you found that there were constraints so you had to change it oh, like 50 percent 
Like, <laughs> an enormous, like, I can't tell you, the amount of planet. I mean, it's your first film, and I've only, I've wanted to make film films my whole life. Um, it was the DP's first film feature as well. Um, so we had so many ideas that we wanted to do, and I'm a big fan of just practical things and trying to, you know, doing things in the lens and with the camera, with interesting sort of magic tricks almost, you know, mm. uh, which I'm trying to bring more into hopefully my future films. Um, but yeah, from time constraints, organization constraints, money constraints, a lot of you, a lot of that you have to change either in pre-production or when you even get there on a shoot day sometimes, you know, there are things which just don't work out, um, which is frustrating. But also, you know, once you finish the film, it is what it is now and you can't think of it any other way. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, I think that's an important thing for people. This was your directorial debut. Um, so you'd shot other things before this, but how do you then change the mindset to then creating something long form? Did you speak to people that have made films like... You mean, how did you kind of get your head around the process and just how things are done? Like, you know, as you know, people shoot in so many different ways, like linear. Some people shoot the end first and just different scenes. Like, how did you work all of that out? Um, I mean, from a writing perspective, I've written a bunch of scripts before. I just hadn't got to make them yet. So, like, I was kind of getting used to that. Like, that's a whole different thing. I'd always been more in turn of I wanted to do stories and not write the actual screenplays and I had to kind of educate myself quite quickly on and again this film is not a great example there like this film is breaking a lot of rules and making a lot of you know weird decisions um and it's going to be important with my next film that I show that I can tell a straight narrative while hopefully still having personality in it you know um but yeah no you just have to bring on a good team like you have to have good producers and people who know what they're doing and can create the right structure for how you make a film like it's always a learning process and um, I learned so much in this process that I wouldn't repeat again necessarily or that I would. Um, and yeah, I mean, I presume that never changes from my conversations with other directors moving forward. It's like, you're always going to be learning, learning different ways because some rules are there for good reason. Um, and some rules I think are just there because, you know, they've been around for a long time. Mm. So you have to learn what's best for you and your production. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Right? That makes sense. Um, there's mixtapes in this, you know what I mean? Which, like, definitely, like, brought me back. I just remember, like, making mixtapes myself back in the day and that kind of thing. But, we're, you know what I mean? We're in a digital age. So, like, what was the thought behind doing mixtapes rather than having her have MP3 files and just going through an iPod and doing it in that way? I mean, there are two thoughts to it. Like one was, um, one was me and my friend would make playlists, but we would do it on CD. But CD isn't, isn't very interesting to look at. Um, <laughs> I grew up with mixtapes, so they just, I love tangible media. I think there's a romanticism to a relationship you can have with that, um, which could be negative and positive. But I, I just, I hate looking at screens and film. Like it's really that simple. Like I hate, I hate, I find nothing less interesting really than looking at a screen inside a screen. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, there are films where it has purpose to be there, obviously, and can be done very well. I'm not smart enough um, or talented enough to figure out how to do that. 
And then I just, uh, there was a point when my manager told me when I was doing a rewrite, she was just like, look, just write the film for you. Like, write what you want. Um, and so I stuffed the film with all the things that I want. And I like films where they don't have that stuff in them. I don't like films that can age too much as well. Um, I, you know, I like the idea of making something that you could come to it 50 years down the line and you still, it'll be still removed from time and place a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it, it follows had come out a couple of years before or whatever, or a year before we started production. And I was really, it gave me confidence to be like, Oh, this film, because some people I know watch it follows and think it takes place in a different dimension because it doesn't have technology in the same way that we do. Um, Whereas I just kind of accept it as, no, this is just, like, that doesn't matter. What it's telling you is it doesn't matter what time period it's set in. Um, here's the story, you know? Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, yeah. So I just removed technology <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> and we live in a cool time now where, like, I have plenty of plenty of ridiculous hipster friends who, who live with no phones, <laughs> no laptops, <laughs> none of this stuff. They just have a CRT TV and, you know, whatever. So I was like, well, we live in a time now where nostalgia is big, so why not? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's gone retro. So, yeah, audio tapes, that's just, yeah, that's a, that, that's a nice little thing. I mean, if you'd use mini discs, people might have been oh, scratching yeah. their heads. <laughs> I just I just signed a contract which, uh, which was to do with media and stuff, like different ways something could be distributed, and it included in the list of ways it could be distributed was UMDs on PSP. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> that was very ambitious. <laughs> uh, my only regret with it is not a regret in that I guess it's turned out to help us in some ways because obviously it's, it's for marketing, it works to have a cassette tape and stuff. But that was never, ever a thought. I mean, when you're making a film like this anyway, you're never even thinking anyone's going to see it. So you're just doing what you want to do for you. Um, so then it is weird to get to a point. I've had some people go, oh, it's very like calculated of you to put mixtapes in. It's like, it never even <laughs> began to cross your mind. So like, what would be useful in marketing? Which is stupid. I shouldn't admit that. You should probably be thinking about that in conception. <laughs> um, but no, it just was very genuinely what I love from what I grew up with. So. Yeah, no, it, it, it was an interesting touch. But I think it's that visuality of the mixtape as well. You know what I mean? So, like, having them on the walls and just her holding them and walking around with a tape player. Yeah, it was just nice. It was a nice visual to have. But, um... <clears throat> so, in the original script, she was just in the apartment. But now, we, we see her leave and venture out. What it was just like, did you always want to show like the the obstacle? You know what I mean? The 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 fear, the the, the monster. Did, was that always gonna be there, or did you sometimes think I right, I'll just leave it up to the imagination? Uh, I mean what the film's all about. You know, disassociation and confronting your own demons really while you're going through grieving um so no it was very important to me um I, again this is in the 50 percent of what we managed to do and what we didn't manage to do so i'm not going to pretend that everything was how i wanted it to be um but we 
I was, again, as the only kind of genre fan in the key people on set, I was, and I hate that terminology, by the way, key people, because everyone's a key person on set, otherwise <laughs> it doesn't get made, but you know what I mean? Yeah. The producers and blah, blah, blah. Um, it was very important to me to not edit around things, um, not to do shaky cameras. Like, you know, when we when you see stuff, I wanted us to be able to look at it. Um, but then you might use negative space or colors or whatever to, you know, to make it difficult to see. Because uh, for me, and again, I hope to like do better with that next time because <laughs> I still want to do genre film. Um, and it was definitely a challenge with the budget that we had. I'm very proud of our special effects team who worked insanely, insanely hard hours um, to to get this done, Mark Hutchins in particular. Um, but it's, no, it was it was always very, very conscious. To, to show this stuff and to, to kind of, it's not there very much, but when it is there to be able to actually look at it, you know, um, there were meant to be more things. I will say that <laughs> like we even shot things that it would have been more, um, creatures and demons and stuff. But, oh, okay. Um, but that didn't, didn't happen. Like <laughs> hmm. I really enjoyed the moment when <clears throat> she's hiding in the car. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah. then we do the cut to the, you know, I, I, that. I, pre- I appreciate you not mapping everything out for people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get what you're saying. If you've seen the film, then they know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The, 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 that, I, I enjoyed it. And <clears throat> I, that was one of the hardest days shooting, to be honest. We had to, everything failed us and we had to kind of make stuff up. Um, not just, not narratively, but make up how we were going to reshoot something that we didn't think was going to be shot that way um uh, conditions of snow conditions of timing like all of this stuff went bad for us and so that was actually a really tough day and that was a really good example for me of when you write something and it seems to work and then when you get there in reality and you're like oh this doesn't physically work so it was <laughs> difficult to figure out how to shoot that and then how to edit it you know yeah yeah but um i guess though if you think I don't know. I'm. I'm. I've never made a film, so I'm just saying shit. And it's just like, but for for things to go like that in your first film, and for you to be able to find a way to overcome it, that must be good going forward because you know you can deal with that. Like, because if this went perfect, if this was a perfect shoot, like when you hit if a stumble at the next one or the one after that, it's a bit more like, and there's possibly bigger budgets, bigger responsibilities. So it, you know what I mean? To, to yeah. hit that now, that's probably ideal really. Well, I mean, you're always going, I mean, I don't think there's ever been a perfect shoot. You're always going to, even when you've got all the money in the world, there's always going to be challenges that just appear. And that's part of, I think anyone who gets into filmmaking, I've got a friend who just started directing stuff um, and they're kind of struggling with some of, um, the challenges that you have with that process, like you know, when you're shooting, and then when you get into the edit, you realize, oh shit, I should have got that, or what this didn't doesn't actually work for something you can never imagine. And you'll learn some of those things, and you'll learn how to maybe overcome some of those things the next time around. But you're still gonna have new challenges. Um, and honestly, like I think directing is kind of the easiest job in the world if you can keep a vision and then know how to basically constantly adapt to lots of people trying to like, you know, ask you questions and you're having to change things and you have to be okay with that. You have to find the best way suddenly out of a situation to tell the story um, mm. with that vision still in mind for later on. 
Um, and that's it's really important. And I think that's a beautiful part of filmmaking is that it is organic. That you will, and I'd like to think, like for instance, have you seen um, "You Were Never Really Here," the Lynn Ramsey film? Oh my, year? yeah, I, I called it at a London Film Festival last year, yeah. and I thought, oh, man, I loved that. It was so yeah. great. So that's maybe, I mean, that was maybe my favorite film of the last I don't know, five years. And there's a scene in that, and again, I don't, I'm not going to give any, anything away, but a scene in that where Joaquin Phoenix's character goes into a building and he has to get someone out of it. Mm. and everything apparently fell apart that day in terms of timings, in terms of how they were going to shoot it, they planned it all out, all this stuff, and they couldn't do it, and they had no time. So Lynn Ramsey had this idea and got one of her set people to go to a store nearby and get CCTV cameras and said, let's just put real CCTV cameras in this building, as they would be in the narrative. Oh. Um, and then they tell that scene through these CCTV cameras, and it makes that whole scene just beautiful. Oh, it makes it work so well. Yeah. Because you're this cold observer for what otherwise is a very delicate and difficult scene to handle. Um, and that's what makes a great director. When you can take something that could be detrimental to your film and instead you're making your film better mm. uh, by not panicking and just being creative on the spot, you know? Um, and it's not always going to go that way. <laughs> you might make a decision <laughs> and you think, yeah, this is a bold decision. Let's do this. It sounds great. And then you get to editing and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you've got to be bold and you've just got to take chances. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I, yeah. I, I definitely can see that. I I really like the ending. I, I really... Is that because Sigur Ross is playing? <laughs> my friends went to see them the other day and i was a bit like oh i didn't know they were there <laughs> that's irritating because <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that like the, yeah the music uh, and yeah we do need to talk about the music but it's like do, did you watch terminator 3 I did. And remember... <laughs> I'm intrigued with where you're going. <laughs> like, remember the ending of Terminator 3? Yeah, I remember the ending. I mean, that's maybe... It's, one, it's a good bit. I like the ending of the film. Oh, I love the... The ending of the film was the best frigging part of that film. Yeah. Because yes. <laughs> all the way through, you're thinking one thing, and then it's just like... Oh, shit! They really follow through. Yes! Like, doesn't happen off the with the blockbuster. Um, yeah, that's not it's not a great film by any means. No, it has a great ending. Yes, that yeah, that's the thing. It was just like the rest of the film wasn't great, wasn't great. And I love Claire Danes. You know what I mean? My oh, yeah. so-called life. That was that oh, was. My so-called life is my favorite TV show. Oh, it it, <laughs> yeah. it see it seemed to be like my personal diary. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah so when i heard she was gonna be in it i was like oh fantastic this is great and the film yeah it was just a bit like Ugh. like there was so much possibility and it didn't quite hit the mark but the ending was great and your ending that really came to mind when i when i saw <laughs> the ending i was just a bit like oh that is superb. I love the fact that you did it like that. It, it was just... 
think it frustrates many some people like what i do when i was doing the q a uh for for a limited theatrical i will not you know i will not watch the film because i just don't want to um but when it gets you know you have to go in for the q a so i'd go in at the end so i've seen that ending now many many ways <laughs> and it's all in all honesty you know i i hate pretty much everything i do um but i like that ending <laughs> like for me that's an ending i would come out of and i would like it i appreciate it's not for everyone um, <laughs> so yeah <laughs> i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah no i i thought that was a it just seemed like the perfect way to end the film you know, is because obviously there could have been so many ways to like close this up, but I just like and you have to be careful because it's there's a you know there's clearly the film's discussing stuff whether you hate mm. the film or love it like it's clearly trying to talk about something. Yes, whether that succeeds with you, you know, it's it's personal, but but then you have to be so careful because I don't want to give an answer. Like I don't want to tell people this is how you should feel, this is how you should deal with grief, this is mm. how, you know because there isn't one way for any of this stuff. Um, so you've got to be really careful with what you're trying to say, you know, at the end of the film. Yes. I think that's like a responsibility, particularly when you're dealing with things that could affect people who, you know, have suicidal tendencies or something. It's like, you need to be careful <laughs> what you're trying to say. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that was a delicate balance. And then that was one of the big rewrites for the year. Uh... The year in the script. Like, the original ending was quite a lot, uh, yeah, a lot more depressing. <laughs> I, I personally find the ending of this quite hopeful in a way, but mm. not necessarily uh, everything's great, you know, it's yes. not in a, oh, everything worked out kind of way. It's hopeful in a different way for me, which is a kind of a, an acceptance. Well, yes, because it was just like, hmm, finding out something, but then going, well, you know what? I'm I'm looking at it like this, and yeah, it is is kind of like look. There's a lot of times when things happen in life, and it's just like you could be like, oh, for fuck's sake, or sometimes you'd be like, all right, fine, I'm gonna roll with that, and we'll try and do yeah. this, and yeah. that's what I liked about it. Yeah, I mean, people. <laughs> Like, here's the thing with movies, it's like, they need, they like to give you this structure that has a satisfying ending at the end of it, and it's very difficult for me, because I don't like that, I don't like endings and things, because there aren't endings, mm. like, there's always, I always say that, like, there's always a comma rather than a full stop in life, because it's continuing constantly, whether you want it to or not, so, yeah, it's like... For, for me, like I, I'm sorry, I'm being delicate because I don't like telling people what they should feel. At the end yeah. Of yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but for me, it's definitely more like what you're talking about. Like it is, you're gonna put effort, you're gonna try and accomplish something, and normally in a film, you either succeed or fail at that. Um, and I was more interested in well, that's kind of irrelevant because it's it's that's a perspective thing, and in life, you're gonna put in a lot of effort. And it'll be much more nebulous than just failing or, su or succeeding at that, you know? It's going to be more about how do you move forward on how you are interpreting things and how brave you are and, and just living with the failures and the successes, you know? Mm. Um, and accepting those to move forward in your life. And that's something I think is really important to talk about more is it's okay if you fail, <laughs> you know? That doesn't mean it's the literal end of the world. Um, you have to be able to, like, live with live with all of the highs and lows oh yeah no definitely yeah 
And yeah, I think it's a message that we don't always see, which, you know, is problematic, really, when you think about things. I do. I mean, I do. I think it's uh, in all forms of cinema, but I don't want to point aggressively at Hollywood or anything, but it's something <laughs> that works. For, and again, I don't see Hollywood as an, as an evil, malevolent character. They're just reacting to what the audience is telling them that they want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel, you know, and it's comforting for people, I think, to have things separated like that. But I do think it's unhealthy for sure. I think you, we have to be happier with the middle ground. We have to be happier with you're realizing we don't have to be happy. Mm. <laughs> That's an important message to know. It's like, it's okay if you don't feel happy. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And it doesn't mean that everything's falling apart. There's still joy that can come from things. Yeah. Oh, definitely, man. Definitely. But um, one of the joys I took was the music. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> like... How did you choose the songs and, and, and everything that kind of fit within this? Um, so when I write a script, I do make a playlist. That's what the character would be listening to. It helps me keep in touch with the character. And particularly when, you know, all, I'm not a good writer, so all my characters are me, so it's very easy then. Um, <laughs> but I like a lot of different types of music, so I just kind of, you know, focus on different styles. And this is my first feature, so it's like, well, I want, it was a balance of, I want, some of my favorite artists in here because I just uh, just want to have some of my favorite music in here. <laughs> um, I want music that perhaps me and my friend would pass back and forth to each other on CD because mm. then it means something. And then there's a big responsibility of there's not much talking, so the lyrics are going to be really listened to. So you need something that helps get inside the character but without spelling it out on the notes. Um, and that, that was really difficult. And then you don't know what licenses you're going to get. So you're trying to pick people as well. Luckily, most of my favorite bands aren't the biggest in the world. Um, Sigur Ross was obviously the worry for us. I'm very, I'm very grateful we got everybody. Uh, there was only one track which we had to change in, in the edit. Um, and that was for a tiny bit, for about 10 seconds. Um, but yeah. Uh, like, what is that process? So you, 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 know, you put like songs within a film. And you, so you have that mapped out. You find the perfect songs to fit the scenes. And then you have to what, approach their management and go, can we use this song? Um, I mean, you have a music supervisor normally who will do that for you, like their job, and they might have relationships with certain labels. <clears throat> but you essentially need two different licenses, um, one's the publishing and one's the actual record. Um so it can be tricky. Normally, though, we'll go in sync with each other, but not always. They are owned by different people. Um, and sometimes the problem I had was some tracks, like we were more worried about things like C.G. Ross, who actually were very kind and worked with us. Um, but the harder ones are ones like, say, for instance, Seafood, who play in the anime scene. And they, they're they a band that haven't been around for a long time. Mm. Um, so I thought that would be an easy one because I love them and they're not doing music anymore. But instead, it meant there was a problem just finding out who owned the rights to the music. Uh, <laughs> like that took a long time for the record companies to figure out who owned this stuff um, because they were in that era where paperwork turned digital, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of stuff gets lost. <laughs> so, no, there are interest challenges. I would, If your people are making films, I would suggest do that as early as you can um, because it can take six months to go through that process. Um, it can take a long time, um, particularly if you don't want to bend. Mm. And right now, for instance, for the stuff I'm writing at the moment, as soon as we go into pre-production on something, 
I'm going to be sorting out the music straight away because I just want to know I've got it and we're locked in. <laughs> uh, you have to do it for how many seconds you're using it. So, you know, you might have to pay something different at the end, but at least to start that communication. Right. Uh, interesting. So, for instance, for the Sega Ross one, like in the forms, it's like, how many seconds are you using it? What situation are you using it? Blah, blah, blah. We actually extended that track. That track is longer than it is. <laughs> um, so that was, yeah. That was fun. We're like, oh, great. Not only is it expensive to use Sigur Ross for a few seconds, not only are we using the full track, we're making their track long. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, fantastic. We thought you were only going to get this much. Now we get more. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a track of, like, I can't imagine this film without that. Like, it needed that music at the end. It's like, mm. yeah. uh, so, like, that's an interesting thing, though, right? So you said, you know, the next film, you're 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 looking at that process a lot sooner. Like, what other kind of takeaways for your next film did you take from this film? Like, you know, be like, oh, so, all right, next time I'm going to do, I'll shoot that first or I'll get that together first or, you know what I mean? What, what other things other than, like, the, the music rights? so many things um if you want me just to give my i mean and everyone's journey is different with it but my personal advice to people um number one is contracts <laughs> make sure that i mean we you know we had all the important ones done but make sure everything is done in pre-production ready for contracts because you might think that you might not think your film's going to do anything we were very very lucky with the support we've had with our film and our distribution now but it means every single little detail has to be done to, you know, the, the highest level when you when you get lucky with that stuff. And we weren't necessarily prepared for all of that. So it's meant a lot of last minute rushes in, in, in this period now, um, which has been a bit of a hassle, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and you just want to be moving on to the next things. So just do it. Do everything as early as you possibly can. Um, and 100% hire a post-production coordinator, which is we did not. And I, that's my biggest regret. I mean, out of many regrets, that's my biggest for sure. Because we just didn't have the money. Um, and that caused so many troubles in post-production that ended up costing us far more money um, than if we just hired a post-production coordinator. Uh, you need someone who's going to be, particularly when you do something on an indie tiny scale, you need someone who's going to be curating everything, making sure everyone's talking to each other right, making sure schedules are kept to being, it's like having an on-set producer, which we had great on-set producers, we didn't for the post-production phase. Um, so you need people who are able to do that. I'm, I'm not good enough to do that stuff. So, um, I've definitely learned the places it's worth spending more money in order to save more money later, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, 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 I'd imagine that is... Yeah, that will be valuable to people getting into this space. Um, do you know what the next project is going to be? Um, so I have, uh, it's been, it's been a weird thing. Cause after I'd written other screenplays, but then after you do your first festival, I at least reevaluate my entire career. Um, I kind of drove away from that on a long road trip and, and rethought everything I want to do. Um, because you want to, obviously anybody who liked your film, you want to make them happy again. Um, anyone who's in the middle ground, you want to hopefully make them like you more. Um, and by you, I mean your project more, not you as a person. <laughs> and anyone uh, who didn't like it, you're probably never going to reach because they're just not, you know, 
into what what your output is. So I, yeah, I've been like I've written I've got like three projects now that I've written afterwards, um, and I've been doing some some meetings with some people, um, hoping to get something going very quickly. Um, Cause I'm really just itching to move into the next thing, but I want it to be the right project with the right people. That's really important to me. I don't want to just do something for the sake of doing it. Um, so yeah, I've got like three different things. They're all genre, but all in different ways. One's like full on, uh, much more horror centric, much more simple, kind of a monster slasher kind of hybrid. Um, one is, kind of a successor to starfish my only worry with that one is people might think i've only got one idea because it's kind of taken some of the themes from starfish making them much more digestible much bigger much more epic and in my opinion much better um which i'd love to do that one and then there's something else that i'm just developing right now that's completely different um, but again in a genre space but i really want it's just taken me a while to kind of figure out with my dp as well because we're going to work together for sure on the next project um just trying to figure out what how we want to like move forward because your second film is very important like we're very lucky to get any attention with the first film and then the second picture is going to like put your feet in the ground of this is the kind of thing we're going to be making you know moving forward yeah yeah yeah. yes because i think that's the thing isn't it like people have huge success with the first film or the first album or you know i mean the first book and then it's like oh what's the follow-up gonna be how are they gonna follow it and then, yeah, and it and it comes, and then people are like, uh, okay. Well, that's the problem. Is like, in all honesty, I've never really had to do anything artistically where I feel the expectation of other people because no one's ever given a shit. About anything <laughs> really made. And that's kind of great when no one gives a shit because then you're just making it for yourself. Um, but now it is, it is weird. Like you do feel that strange pressure even from the tiny place that I'm at. You do feel the pressure of, oh, I've met people who really do love what I did, and I'm very grateful for that. I don't want to piss them off. With my next, I don't want them to feel, oh, he's like sold out, or he's not being brave anymore, or weird enough, or whatever it is they might have liked. But then I also, you just have to stay true to what you want to tell, you know. And I know where I would like to be next, and what I want to tell next. And I know the things. There are some things that people who love Starfish, I don't like about it, um, and I can't pander to that just because I'm grateful they like it, you know. I have to kind of try and rectify what I think were the problems and, and do better. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, you know, when 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 we do things, it has to be honest. You know what I mean? Like honest to ourselves. There's there's often times when like things get like you can do something because you oh, if I add this this person is going to love it and I, I'll get this and blah, blah, blah. But it's just not what you would have done if it wasn't for that. So it's just like, yeah. as long as you're doing what, you know what I mean? What's honest to you? I mean, that's the main thing. And people no, can see that in what you do. Absolutely. And I don't think you can, that's about finding, and what's great about film is this collaboration. So, I feel very lucky to be where I am and to hopefully have an opportunity to do another film. And I want to be working with the people who bring out the right things in you where hopefully you can reach a larger audience and make a sustainable living where you can keep doing what you want to be doing, you know? But like you say, it has to come from an honest place. And that's, I think the problem with a lot of films is you're not using the right people to get the output that you're wanting. That like collaboration between studio and producer and director has to be right. Um, and it's the reason why, like, you look at Spielberg's work or someone, you know, who does huge films, they're being honest about who they are. They just love making 
films that are for a lot of people, you know, mm. like that their storytelling is very open and wide, um, but it's very honest. Like they're not pretending. And I think that's why they're great successes at doing that. But if you're, you know, a weird little obtuse, you know, which I appreciate maybe I've come across as <laughs> with Starfish and I definitely have some obtuseness there. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're doing whatever you're doing and then you get pulled into a different place, you're not, you're going to have to fake it in some way and then it's not going to resonate in the same way. Mm. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You have to be honest, but hopefully you can find other people who can bring out different parts of your honesty, you know, that make for something a little more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Ow. This has been such a fascinating conversation and I I've, <laughs> I just looked at I looked at the uh, you know the the time and I was just like no, oh sorry. oh my god I no it's great you know what I mean I like I I prefer longer I hate it when um you know like at the London Film Festival a lot of the times with the interviews and stuff they're like okay so we can give you ten minutes is that enough and you're like um. Not I can, for anything interesting, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can make it work, but any chance of a bit longer? And they're like, oh, um, all right, we can give you 15. You're <laughs> just like, ah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Being able to just sit down and just talk, um, that's always yeah. great. So That's my favourite thing, is just being able to talk about movies with people. <laughs> I'm just grateful to be here and anyone wants to talk to me. <laughs> hey, no, I, I honestly, I love the film. Um, and you know, I, I think it's easy, like sometimes people just say it just because it's just like, oh, how can I say I didn't like it when I, I said, but no, I like, I remember I, I, there was one film that I'd watched at, at London and I just didn't like, like it was interesting, but there was so much of it that I just thought I don't, it doesn't make any sense. And when I sat down with the director the next day, I was, I was talking and I was like, yeah, but the, this fits in, I just think, and he explained it and I was like, well, that makes sense. I, I mm -hmm. get it now. I wish I'd known that when I watched the film. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, in all honesty, I love doing this stuff. I love chatting about it. And I love that we've managed to chat less maybe about Starfish and more just about filmmaking process, which to me is great. Um, but partly because it's like, well, I've had my say, you know, and when the film is finished, the world will pretend that that's what the director and producer never wanted to make. Mm. And it's not, like I said, it's this organic thing. And now it is this, and this is what it is. And now everybody else gets to have their say, and that might be painful or it might be positive and who knows, whatever. Um, and you don't get to like, and I, so I think it's great to have that extra information. I love listening to audio commentaries and learning more about it, but it's a, you know, but the first way you watch it without that information, that's the only way that you should really watch your film. Like you shouldn't, it's like when I go to an art gallery, I will, if I love a piece of art and a painting on the wall, I'll read that blurb next to it, explaining to me what I should be feeling. But all that really matters is my relationship with that piece of art. Yes. Um, and that's the first thing you should do. And the second thing is to like look into it. So if you watch something, you don't like it. And then you hear something from the director and you go, oh, that's interesting sure, maybe give it another chance to go back with that information, but it already didn't connect with you. Yes. You know? And I do think that's valid. 
Yeah, well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's just like, look, you can have something explained to you and then you watch it and you're like, yes, I see that. That makes sense. Bum, 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 bum. But you need to be able to kind of get that when watching the film. You know, it, it, you, you have to be able to find the sense of it all. And, and if you can't, there's not that connection with you now that's not to say other people can't find that but it needs to resonate with everyone in in whatever way it does you know oh, so yeah i've resonated with you on a different day like i honestly see like any relationship with art is like two people in a dark room throwing stuff at each other and you're trying to like hit each other at the same time it's it's just like you have to it's a magical thing when you connect with a piece of art and you can't control it. And if you had done it on a different day, you might feel very differently about it, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I remember I watched the um, the, 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 the first Fox um, Fantastic Four and yeah. I hated it. Hated it so much. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I hate the castings. And then uh, a few years later, I watched it around a friend's house with, with their family. And I and I enjoyed it. I laughed, I, and I just thought, "Yeah, no, it's fun." Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, yeah. I think it's the environment, it's the day, it, it's so many it's factors. Expectations, yes. Well. That's a big thing. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's a, I, I, that fascinates me, and it's just so uncontrollable. I don't, you know, see the point in trying too hard. <laughs> like it is. What it is. <laughs> no, yeah, indeed, man, indeed. But uh, yeah, no, this has been really interesting. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I think the listeners are going to be fascinated with just, you know, just the thinking about like the film. And because I, that's, because as you said, look, it, it's what you see at the end, you just think, oh, so is that how they envisioned it all? So it's nice to kind of, get to thinking, well, kind of, we wanted to shoot it in this way, but we had to change that shot and blah, 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 blah. That's all, that's fascinating. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm really happy that you were, you were comfortable enough to just talk about it all. So thank you very oh. much for that, man. No, thank you so much. And thanks for, thanks for letting me, like if anyone gets anything, great. It's just my limited, my limited opinions. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> my experience. Maybe I'm just making excuses for myself. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, man. No, no worries, man. And when you get your next project, um, hey, make sure you come back and we can have another long ass conversation about it. That sounds great. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Okay, people. Well, if you enjoyed that, right, remember the film is now available on um, video on demand in, um, yeah, in the UK, Canada, um, Australia, and New Zealand. So, oh, and the US, of course. So, um, yeah, you will be able to find... <coughs> <coughs> Oh my gosh, apologies. You'll be able to find it on all the usual, you know, streaming locations. Um, 
Yeah, and I believe it's, uh, you know, the standard for um, these things, 799 SD and 999 HD. Okay, so we have now, oh, and hit the, um, the details of this episode and you will find all the links for um, Al and the film. So you'll be able to follow and um see what he's cooking up next right um okay so you know we're at the end of the episode so just a little bit of film news then we're gonna bounce all right funny enough i was talking about this with some friends at the weekend but um yeah while i'm doing you know press for men in black international Producers Walter F. Parks and Laurie McDonald. Um, yeah, they confirmed that they are still working with Ridley Scott and a new writer on a sequel to 2000. Um, yeah, uh, Gladiator. Okay, and this is what they said. So McDonald said, We're working with Ridley Scott. That's one we wouldn't touch unless we felt, in a way, to do it was legitimate. We're working with an amazing writer as well, Peter Craig. And Park said, it picks up the story 30 years later, 25 years later. So, yeah, I do not know, man. You know what I mean? This is like, how the fuck are they even going to be doing this like the the last i heard crow was gonna be back as maximus but if it's 30 25 years later 30 years later i have no clue what they're gonna do his family were killed so it's just like yeah what the fuck do you do but i don't know maybe at some point soon we'll find out um okay so at the end of last year Netflix signed a huge deal with the C.S. Lewis company to pick up the rights to um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, So, um, they have just hired Matthew Aldrich, who was a co-writer of Coco. uh, And Matthew will be overseeing the whole process though you know because what what's gonna happen is um you know they're going to be i don't know making films and tv series um from all of this and so uh aldridge is he's gonna be the creative architect and uh yeah shepherd the development and everything of every, you know what I mean everything that happens so it has some cohesive synergy but yeah i'm like hopefully this time this stuff can be done right cuz I, I i think the closest things that we've had were the um the car lion the witch and the wardrobe cartoon from the, or I believe that was the 80s. I want to say the 80s that came out. 
and then there was the BBC um, TV series from oh, I think that was either the late 80s or early 90s that you look at it now and it's ropey as hell but as a kid I loved that series man so yeah we'll see what happens right um and lastly some some news that hey is is great but um Rob Brydon um Steve Coogan and Michael Wimbot Winterbottom have all come together for another iteration, another instalment of um, their trip series. And this time the guys are going to Greece. Which, yeah, I don't know, all, like, because you think, um, we started with the trip. Um, in 2010 then there was a trip to Italy in 2014 and the trip to Spain in 2017 and all were just um, yeah they were great uh, you know so it, it, what what we get is um, yeah it's like a, a buddy comedy series with Bryden and Coogan like Traveling around the location, stopping for like meals where they have weird conversations, and they're playing themselves. But just that, you know, what I mean that just like uber version of themselves. So uh, yeah, um, and like in the UK, this these come out as a six episode TV series, but I believe in the states. And um, some other places around the world, it's released as a film. So uh, that's why I'm mentioning it here. Uh, but yeah, that that should be fun. Um, so we'll we'll see. Hopefully, um, you know, I, I believe it's probably going to drop sometime next year. So uh, yeah, we we'll look forward to that. But yeah, people, this has been another fun episode. Um, remember to go follow Al and, um, yeah, definitely go and, um, yeah, go and, go and watch Starfish because it's an incredible film and really your life is empty without it. So, um, yeah, do that. And, um, people, just so you know, um, the Tangle, uh, that is going to be screening at some more festivals coming up soon. Um, I've had that from the director. And so when um, I get that information, I will drop it here so you can uh, make sure you see that as well. Because, yeah, I have to say Starfish and The Tangle have definitely been two of my favorite films i've seen this year so um yeah people i will um yeah i hmm i'm traveling next thursday but if all goes to plan i will put the episode out um before i leave okay all right people 
enjoy your movie going or maybe you're watching at home but enjoy all the movies you see this week peace